Alright, this is the Yay, I'm Reg Clay. And Manny G. This is the Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! Now, this is unusual because this is Wednesday, but we've got some things going on in our own personal lives that we got to do. Our theatrical lives. <laughs> right, exactly. But we bring back Scott Munson. Now, Scott, Scott, welcome. Well, thank you so much. It's delightful to be here on a Wednesday. I, I know, exactly. And uh, we had you on uh, a long, uh, a while back last year, but Norman wasn't around, so it was just you and me. But now uh, you get to see Norman, as, uh, and this is the first time you've met Norman. Now I can. Yeah. In, in three dimensions. That's exactly. Right. It's amazing how in our theater lives, you know, we may have been involved in Bay Area theater for years and years, but still haven't met people. And you see the names. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You see the names. Have you had that Facebook phenomenon where you see somebody and you have like 73 mutual friends? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It really comes up more when somebody comments or something or somebody likes something and I go, wait a minute, you know her? (laughs) How do you know her? Right. Like there was a lady that I went on uh, a date maybe two years ago with uh, a woman and – the woman popped up on Facebook, and Scott had, um, I don't know, mentioned had a uh, mention, I don't know, mentioned something about it. I think she was talking about food, and you were like, "Oh yeah, I like that food too." And I'm like, "How do you know Scott Munson?" And <laughs> um, you remember that? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's often in in reference to cats. I seem to become the cat. Lady oh yeah, oh uh, yeah. <laughs> it's true. The whole cat memes. I, you know, the memes. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around the memes. Like, there's a meme Doge D O G E. And I'm like, what does it mean? Like, I has, I can has cheeseburgers. You know, that's a meme. What is it? Wow. It's basically I someone, 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 I can has, H-A-Z, cheeseburger. It's like a crazy sentence that if you were a cat or if you were an animal, oh. that's how you would speak. I think that's how these memes work. And so someone posts up okay. a, a cute picture of a cat, dog, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then there's these captions as to what they would say. And then it just takes off. It has no rhyme right. or reason. It just it just happens. Right, so. it catches on a day, and <laughs> there right. it is. So I can ask, how was your week? How was your half week? How was your last couple of days? <laughs> <laughs> I so um, and I think I said this last time too. Um, mm-hmm. Summer, winter, spring performs Friday and Saturday. So cool. I'm rehearsing for that, and we're in week two of our rehearsals for Lucia Berlin. So mm-hmm. wow, really, what I'm doing more than anything is kind of stumbling home and just laying down and going, okay. Yeah, you need as much rest as possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you're completely off book and you guys are... <laughs> oh, not really. Well, it, you were completely off book. The word yeah. word style is very strange. So really, up until performance time, we will be adjusting lines. Ah, um, yeah. So wow. the directors, because you take a piece of text, it's actually, this is a short series of short stories that we're doing. Yeah. And so we take that original text and the director divides it up and then gets in the actor's hands and we start actually saying it out loud and figuring out, no, it makes more sense for you to say, and then he, oh. instead of me saying, mm. and you'll say, and then he. Oh, I got it. You know, I got and it. So just figuring out ways to mm-hmm. bring these characters to life, these characters that we're creating to yeah. help support the story, um, how to make that all work together. Like mm-hmm. there's a sentence that we were working on last night uh, Two of us were suddenly uh, two cops eating Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Yeah. And SWAT teams. It's the same sentence. There's not even a comma. Ben and Jerry ice cream and SWAT teams. Yeah. In a truck. Yeah. Uh, with rifles mm-hmm. chasing down a baby cub. Yeah. A bear cub. It wow. reminds me so much of when we did Richard Wright. 
Yeah, it's exactly that style. Yeah, that's, that's where that I brought the style from. Where you, there's a sentence, but three people may jump into the sentence mm-hmm. and create the sentence. And it, keep, it forces you to stay on your toes. Yeah. Because there can't be a pause. Right. Not only can there not be a pause, you have to make – you can't just own your line. You have to make your line fit with the person before you mm-hmm. and maybe pass off that energy to the person who's finishing the sentence. Yeah. If, Scott, if I may yeah, ask, yeah, in terms of shameless plug time, this sounds fascinating to me and so uh, germane to many of the things that I've been thinking about in my private life. Oh. Um, can you remind us where and when this is going on? Oh, we'll, we'll definitely put shouts out we'll later, too. But yeah. it's on, uh, uh, Lucia Berlin will be at Z-Space uh, opening Valentine's weekend. Okay. Fantastic. I just saw a show at the Z-Space that just totally blew my mind. It was the one about the moon landing. Oh! I, uh, I utterly adored Mug it. Mugwumpin? Yeah, Mugwumpin. Mm-hmm. And I think they may still have a couple of days. I, I think, think they do. They may close this weekend. I think they're all sold out. But I have to say, it was about the moon landing, Mugwumpin, Z-Space. I can't remember the exact title. But wow. it was exhilarating, exciting evening. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I just totally adored it. Mm-hmm. Scott, when, you, when, uh, when I think about like word for word, I think about languages and like the rhythm of, of language. Do you think a lot about the rhythm of language or do you really just focus on the plot and just getting something on paper and getting it to the actors? Well, it's, it's funny you should say that because I, I, my initial response is it's all I think about, yeah. the rhythm of the language. It's, it has to feel rhythmically true and rhythmically alive to me. Um, that actually, I would say, is my. <laughs> I'm sure many of the people who've seen my plays would probably think maybe I should think about something else. Yeah. But, but I have to say that is the absolute first thing that I think about. It has to. Mm-hmm. It has to sort of feel rhythmically right, or I just can't write it, or I won't write it. Yeah, yeah, and we'll talk more about that because we'll talk about. Um, I know you want to talk about playwrights and how new playwrights are being educated now in uh, the new in the millennial age. Um, current events. So Trump had a wedding anniversary. I think it's his 14th or 13th, 13th, 13th anniversary. Yes. Uh, and people have been um, talking about how Trump is not talking about it. Mm, <laughs> no, right. uh, I love you, Melania. No tweets or anything like that. I finally, after five women, found the woman <laughs> I'm yeah, exactly. for the rest of my life. <laughs> I will love you forever. I promise Except for time. that moment with the, uh, the porn star. Yeah, Stormy, oh, Stormy yeah. Daniels, who is... Making a field day, you know, she's trying to collect she's as much money as possible. Tour. Yeah. I saw an ad. She's well, going to be touring. Oh, well. <laughs> hey, what can I say? <laughs> and uh, Robert Mueller. If he, it's good he, enough for the president. Sure, why not? <laughs> uh, Robert Mueller, he's been interviewing a, a Trump former aide who has lawyered up. Trump has been trying to get other folks to not cooperate. Right. And uh, I'm, I'm really interested. I mean, I just I saw the post. That's a wonderful movie with Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. Watergate mm-hmm. and the Washington Post's involvement in that. And the Pentagon uh, Papers, I thought. Huh? The Pentagon Papers. Pen- that's, that's what I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. The, the, latter, the very last half of the movie, spoilers, gets into Watergate. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it talks about the Pentagon Papers, but also just how the media is involved in, in, in that sort of stuff, how important right. the media is. Mm-hmm. And, um well, as long as we were talking about Mrs. Trump, I just want to say something in passing because I know you guys are really interested in mm-hmm. the nexus of like gender and race That's and right. culture. Yeah, um, I'm from Montenegro on my grandparents' side. Oh, wow! Uh-huh. And um, I have to say that when I see people hating on her mm-hmm. because of her heritage, right, it really drives me insane. 
Yeah, that's, that's not fair. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. If, if you're from Eastern Europe, you have sort of a kind of a bit of a dual vision, as they say. Sure. Because mm-hmm. in one sense, you know, you're white. You feel like I'm a European and all that. Mm-hmm. But Europe's history is very much uh, a history of West and East. Mm-hmm. And Eastern Europe, you know, nobody, when people talk about Galileo and Beethoven and Shakespeare, they're not talking about Bulgaria and Croatia and mm-hmm. Serbia. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, and, 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 Eastern Europe has always had this feeling of being backward, of being a, a pawn, being right. passed and forth between various empires. And and when many Eastern Europeans come to America for the first time, they're really astonished by the prejudice against Eastern Europeans, mm-hmm. I mean, which are completely different than the prejudices we have. Yeah, but, but equally powerful. Yes, because in, in Eastern European prejudice world, for example, mm-hmm. Poles are thought of as being very proud, mm-hmm. physically beautiful, mm. militarily strong, mm-hmm. uh, arrogant right. people. Just read Taras Bulba by Gogol, oh, and sure. you'll see that's what the Poles are. Then they come here and they hear Polish jokes. Right. Yeah. And and it's like, wait a second, that's not what the Poles are at all. So yeah. this idea that if you have an Eastern European name, you are you have to be kind of you know braiding your armpit hair and right. mm. you know that sort of stuff. Yeah. Is and and. So some of that, like people make fun of the way that she talks and all that sort of stuff, really drives me nuts. Even though politically they all make me sick, yeah, it right. does touch. Well, the Melania, I, and I said that from the very beginning. Melania didn't ask for this. Right. You know, she came to the United States. You know, of course, she according you know, to that book, <laughs> yeah. none of them expected this. <laughs> well, wow, <I> mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like wait a minute, I right. thought we were going on vacation. Yeah. What? But Melania herself, you know, she came to the United States uh, as a fashion model, and you know, there are a lot of European women, mm-hmm. women, period, uh, who come in. Hey, you know, this is a way that I can get into the United States to America, mm-hmm. America. You know, the and that's why this whole immigration thing just drives me crazy. I mean. Right. Milani is a product right. of being an of immigrant, our immigration policy. Of our yeah. immigration policy. Yes. She meets a rich man, mm-hmm. American, right. who says, hey, I like you. I want to marry you. That's the American dream, I imagine, right. for someone like her. And all of this stuff, you know, the Trump and just the bile that mm-hmm. Trump spills, none of that's on Milani. I mean, right. she... She's she's a product of the riches. I mean, right. you know, she gets to sleep in a mansion and mm-hmm. Mar-a-Lago and all of that stuff, and yeah. she has privileged children. But and I, you know, it would be nice if she would take a stand. But how do you how do you ask her to take she a stand against her own husband? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's so many first ladies who have not exactly. You know, who have very, been very careful to stay clear of their husband's business. Yeah. You know why? I don't see holding her to a different standard. Right. I mean, you know, we've had eight years of Hillary Clinton as first lady. Right. We've had eight years of Michelle Obama. Right. In between that, there's Laura Bush. Right. And, you know, and some of the others who, who take more traditional. Who did herself fairly well. Yeah. I, 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 every time I would see stuff about Laura Bush, I would want to hate on her. But, no, she held herself well. She presented yeah, herself well. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from uh, as yeah. far as Melania. And it would be nice if her own husband which we with some respect. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah well, and yeah. when it comes to hate-mongering, yeah, he's, he's kind of the leader of the band. Right, exactly. And then um, Aziz Ansari. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's uh, – it's an interesting conversation that's been going on. So there's a, there's a website, babe.net, which is a slash uh, news organization slash um, pop um, – 
it's one of those um, like TMZ. Okay. You know, um, celebrity. Yeah, celebrity sort of news. Mm-hmm. So Aziz Ansari, I think I don't watch a lot of TV, but I think he's on Master of None. Uh, yeah. He, he, yeah. He won an award for it. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a comedian. He had a date with a reporter. Right. And according to the reporter, he sexually harassed her. Right. Um, well, and neither of them deny the facts of what happened. Yeah, they had sex. Basically, her story is he forced her, himself on her. Right. And was very, very graphic. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. About what happened. Um, he basically says, well, yeah, we had sex. I thought it was consensual. She didn't say no. So right. Right. why am I to blame? Right. And, it's, and, and there's been a bit of an Internet war as far as, well, can we really blame him? Right. And also, how can he call himself a part of the Me Too movement and act, acting like this? Mm-hmm. So there was a SAG Award ceremony, and he was nominated. He didn't even show up. Right. His name was na- announced, yeah. and no one applauded. Right. So that's you know the, the, the interesting news. So um, – and I guess the the argument is, you know, um, I, you know, coming from a law enforcement uh, background, working in the DA's office, w- you know, we want our victims to clearly claim themselves to be a victim to say, listen, sure. no. When mm-hmm. I say no, it's no. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, there's fear involved. Right. right. So th- there are a lot of women who are like, well, I wanted to say no, but Empower, I and yeah, and empowerment yeah. and all that sort of stuff. So it's an interesting argument that's been happening online. It's it's what's ridiculous is to watch it go both ways. It's just gone to both extremes. You know, yeah. either everybody who's done anything like this is horrible, and yeah, or you know, come on, you're making you're you know now men. And it's funny because I actually posted today a beautiful little uh, there's a BBC comedy show, uh-huh. and a woman came on to help explain this stuff. So <laughs> okay. she said, um, "Is it okay to you know?" She was quoting things from headlines. Oh. Mm-hmm. And she, is it okay for a man to hug a woman? Well, yes, but she said, well, you know, she demonstrated with the host, come yeah. over and, you know, and they hug. Yeah. And she says, now hold me just a little bit too long. How is that starting to feel for you? He's like, that's feeling wrong. Mm. She's like, yeah, you know, I mean, when yeah. it gets to the point where it feels wrong, it is wrong. If there's blood going to your groin, then it's <laughs> and she's holding him while she said that, and he said, there's no blood flowing anywhere. <laughs> but yeah, she, crazy, he also yeah. said, um, can a man give a woman flowers? And she said, yes, but not with your penis in them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that usually. Right, right, exactly. And that over the line. to be, to me, where I would have mm-hmm. put him in this discussion. Right. Um, if you go, and I've been on dates. where sure. I've been on dates where I wanted to get someplace and didn't get any place. Yep. I've been yep. on, you know, where if you want to use the baseball analogy, you got to first base. Yeah, you try to steal second, you I get thrown out. Second. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then just didn't get anywhere sure. and went home going, oh, that's too bad. And I guess what this is positing, because a lot of women are saying this now, women want to have sex, which seems to be news to some men. <laughs> yeah. Many men seem to feel like, no, i got to sneak up on her and kind of snatch oh. it when she's not paying yeah. attention. Yeah. Um, but women want to have sex, mm-hmm. but like any decent human being, they want to be approached in a normal way. Sure. If I jump out and go, ha, at you, you're probably going to startle and look mm-hmm. at me like I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. If I say, hey, how are you doing, and I'm nice about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it doesn't mean you have to, you know, people are being ridiculous about trying to say what you have to do or don't have to do. Ultimately, at a certain point, he knew this woman wasn't into it. They had clothes off. She said she wasn't into it. She put clothes back on. Then they sat down on the couch. Yep, yep, to watch TV. And then he decided to go for it again. And at this point, she wasn't putting up the same resistance that she'd put up before. Yeah. So he misread that. Well, yeah, that makes him a... 
a dunce. That makes him an idiot. That makes yeah. him not particularly observant. Mm-hmm. It isn't the same as a boss going, hey, it's just you and me alone in the office and, you know, that raise I gave you. Right, exactly. Time for you to pay up. But as I, as I visualize this, and I've been on dates as well, and I've, I've tried to, I'm not going to say I tried to steal second, but I'm very <laughs> much into conversation. I'm very much into, and it's wonderful that we have a playwright here, mm-hmm. Scott Munson. But I imagine the dialogue, every time I see this, and of course, we're not in the room, right. I can't imagine a lot of dialogue between the two honest dialogue. I'm, I'm uh, sure he right. told a bunch of jokes. I'm sure she <laughs> right. laughed. Right. I'm sure she was like, well, I'm in his house, and... Yeah. I'm kind of attracted or whatever, but, you know, I, I guess I better smile and I best I better be, I don't know, politically correct. Right. But On my I, best behavior. On my best behavior. But I don't see him asking her, so let me learn about you and, you know, what, what, do, you know, what do you feel comfortable and, right. you know, how – tell me about your life and all of that. So I don't imagine that going on at all. Mm-hmm. Men have desires. We, I mean, well, all sure. of us have desires. Right. Do we put our desires over our conscience? I've always felt that. This is a great question. Yeah. I mean, I have a uh, faith podcast, and mm-hmm. Scott, you were on the faith podcast, I and I think about desire versus conscience. Mm-hmm. And, of course, as a Christian, you know, you always put your conscience first because there's the God element. You know, what would Jesus want you to do? Right. But let's put that aside. There's always the battle between conscience and desire. If you put your desires first, then, you know, it's go. You know, there are a lot of men who are like, hey, you know, like they look at things in a business perspective. Hey, mm-hmm. you know, I got to take it. Conquest. I've got to get it. Conquest. Yeah. I've got to. And, you know, I can't be soft about it. Right. And um, but and and when you when you approach that with a, a woman, you're going to have. So I imagine Aziz and sorry, that I think that's his name. Mm-hmm. I don't think he thought about her, what she was thinking at all. I mean, the minute the first time she was like, "Hey, I feel really, really uncomfortable." Mm-hmm. If it were me, that would have been my cue. Hey, I'm really, really sorry. I want to back off. I really want to have a, a deeper relationship with you. Mm-hmm. So, let me, you know, be more conscientious. And I, 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 going back to what I was saying beforehand, I really wonder what children are taught, what boys are taught, when it comes to dealing with relationships. Well, it was funny listening to you. I had a couple of different reactions. One mm-hmm. of them was just about the baseball language. I mean, as you know, my wife is from France, and in one of the funnier exchanges we had was her asking me, what is all this baseball talk about <laughs> sex? What does this mean? You know, baseball is completely incomprehensible to most Europeans. When he says, I couldn't get to first base with her, you know, or she threw me a curveball, mm-hmm. you know, or I hit a home run, you know, what does all that mean? Sure. You know? And yeah. you sit there, and, and within 30 seconds, you're trying to describe the infield fly roll. Right. And oh, and no. <laughs> She's just looking at you like, what are you, right, what right. Are you babbling on? Yeah. The, right. This is just become more confusing. Yes, yeah. exactly. The and nail-dominated concept of mm-hmm. sex. Ex- yeah. e- exactly. And the, and the other thing was thinking about this whole atmosphere in Hollywood, because I think I may have mentioned the last time I was here that yeah. my uh, dad was an actor. Mm-hmm. I was born and raised in Hollywood oh. and, and was always on the periphery of the business. And mm-hmm. I still have many friends down there who, mm-hmm. um, who work there. And, mm-hmm. and I think part of the reason why I was attracted to theater was it isn't Hollywood-centric. Right. You know, uh-huh. It isn't that world. But, you know, when I the, – the two reactions I have is, is that the first is I, um, I have so many memories as a kid thinking about what a uh, – t- kind of almost totalitarian world it is. Mm-hmm. You know, there were 
gossip columnists and producers. And oh. They had the power of life and death. Because right. it's not like in sports where, hey, you ran a 4-2-40, you're a fast guy. Right. It's so That's right. subjective. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I'll make your script. I'll make your script, Reg, but Norman, I won't make yours. Mm-hmm. So right. then you go back to working, parking cars at, at Hamburger Hamlet, right. and you're a millionaire. Right, right. You know? yeah. And yeah. that's just entirely my decision. And, okay, based on that, oh, by the way, Reg, I think you're kind of cute. Oh, mm-hmm. right, you right know? exactly. And, you know, you want to have drinks and talk about your script? It's so easy to mm-hmm. abuse that world with people who know that, you know, people have a life and death power over you. Yeah, yeah. And so many people lives are spent chasing after that mm-hmm. and my heart goes out and it really powerfully goes out to uh, to the victims in these cases because you know I, you know, if, you know i'm just sitting here thinking if somebody to ask me not that anyone ever would yeah. you know, but at this stage of my life but you know you want to come up and and i'll read your play scott and we'll have a couple of drinks you know i you sure. know okay yeah you can, yeah you can <laughs> afford, yeah yeah you know and and being put in that position where you think like, well, I'm at one of these real turning points in life, mm-hmm. and that doesn't seem to me very fair or humane to anyone yeah. to put them in that position, and I, my heart goes out. I, I, I personally feel like I don't give too much credence, credence to the idea that people are making this stuff up to just pull down right. the Oh, of course. Right. Yeah, no. uh, I think it's it's an epidemic. And yeah. You know, it, it, it's it's good that somebody's opened the window. Yeah. And well, the other one you talked about is the doctor. Uh, Nasser. And the, Larry Nasser. One of the things oh. they said in that trial was they did not expect as mm-hmm. many young women to come forward one, as wanted to. Yeah. They wanted to testify. Yeah. They wanted to get it out there that yeah. this happened to me and I've been living with it. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, the organization that should have been Michigan safeguarding State. me. Michigan State, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Olympic Committee. And the committee, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, they, for them to – they just wanted to make sure that people knew. And it's like, how are you going to discredit mm-hmm. all these people? You, This is ridiculous. Yeah. And to you know, question this. Yeah, and to tie that up with, with what you were saying, Scott, how do you – excuse me. How do you get people who have thought have, – who have this mentality for so many years, hey, this is the way we do things. Right. How do you change that? I mean, it's almost like having a computer and operating system mm-hmm. changing right. the operating system. Right. Well, sometimes I guess with blunt force by saying, well, listen, if you do it, you're going to get punished. Mm-hmm. So, right. you know, who's next? Well, and then locally it's happening with, um, what is it, a boot and shoe service, uh, Penrose, and I forget the other restaurant. These um, restaurants that well, have been I think heard about by this that. guy. Yeah. And uh, so what happened this weekend was a bunch of the managers and employees, 17, I said about this. Yeah. that they wanted him. So he had already stepped down. Yeah. And they said he... But they uh, they said the request was uh, it was a chef who was sexually harassing the employees. Well, he's not just the chef. He's yeah. he's a he's the one who put the places together. He's, yeah. he's an owner. Yeah, and they said they wanted him to divest. Yeah, and the other one of the other partners was like, well, he's already stepped down from all operations, and he has removed himself, and he's therefore not making money off of that. Mm-hmm. But these employees were like, you need to do it all by Saturday. Mm. Or we're walking. Mm. And so they actually protested. They actually closed down one of the restaurants, their wow. brunch service, because yeah. they were outside protesting. Yeah. And then they did. They, uh, I think 10 of them. Mm-hmm. That's Quit. power. That's and, power. Well, we'll see what happens because mm-hmm. I realize on the one hand what's happened is they've lost 10 employees. They have to replace 10 employees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, pa- that's a hassle, but that's mm-hmm. not that big a deal. 
But if these people were that serious about it, I imagine that they're ready to take the next steps, which mm -hmm. is, you know, to start talking about a lawsuit. And they wouldn't have even made the demand if they didn't feel like they had enough power, enough information. Yeah. You know, and so now, and it's funny because the organization is putting this very, you know, not getting into it, not trying to defend him, but not trying to take a position on it. Mm -hmm. Just trying to, we're just an organization is yeah. what they're trying to do. Yeah. But it's going to get nasty because their name is going to get dragged through the mud if yeah. he doesn't satisfy these people. Mm -hmm. I wonder how, how how long they knew the organization knew that he was doing this sort of stuff because that's the that's the that's the thing that sort of ties that plus Michigan State. Right. I don't even add Penn State. Right. I mean, I still think about Jerry Sandusky yeah. and how horrible that was. I right. believe that was For in twenty twelve. Yeah. yeah, and. It's amazing how organizations think, well, the best way to protect ourselves is to not say anything. Right. Which is horrible. And it, it creates, it, it, it expands the, uh, what they call the exposure. neutralize or marginalize the victim. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. Well, they don't even think about the victim. They think about themselves. But I mean, like, in the way they deal with it is to say, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. either we're going to <clears throat> challenge you and mm -hmm. refute everything you're saying, or we're going to pay you off and shut you up. Right, exactly. Neither of which leaves that person yeah. feeling very well. And it's most egregious when it comes to children. Yeah. Well, a child says that she was molested. Well, does she really know? I mean, you know. So-and-so touched you one way or another, but, right. you know, how do we really – I mean, that's with NASA. Mm -hmm. That's with the Sandusky thing. Right. Um, well, the, well, the one thing that really struck me there was, you know, back to my own life story. When sure. I grew up, I, I decided I didn't really want to be an actor or be in Hollywood because it was such an ugly world. And yeah. I loved sports, so I was a sports writer. Mm -hmm. I oh. thought, at least in sports, it's fair. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know? And, you know, you run 10-4, I run 10-5, you win mm -hmm. kind of thing. So it seemed to me there was some justice to that. But I, I started covering women's tennis for mm -hmm. a tennis magazine in Southern California. Yeah. And that was just at the time when the old model, which was mature players, uh -huh. you dominated the game. You had to yeah, Martina Navratilova. Yes, you had to be Chris in Everett. your yeah. 20s and uh, – to succeed were now being replaced by this new wave of wunderkinder who were, right. you know, like 17, 15, 15 16, sure. 17. Sure. And the whole idea, what's a senior player, what's a junior yeah. player? And I went to interview a few of the uh, players and coaches. Yeah. And, you know, th I don't want to draw too much of a stereotype here, but it was almost overwhelmingly that the coaches were, these inc were male, incredibly dominating, mm -hmm. incredibly loud-mouthed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the and the players were um, kind of cowed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was tennis where the woman at least has the opportunity of, who knows, I'm 15 years old, but I'm going to still be playing when I'm 25. Right. I'm going to eventually be able to, you know, right. have another coach. Sure. When I think about women's gymnastics, yeah. mm -hmm. and, you know, women, you almost want to put that term in quotes because so many of these are, are girls. girls. Yeah. yeah. And what's their window of a career? One Olympics? That's yeah. right. If they get two, they're lucky. They're lucky. Yeah, and, you're absolutely right. And if you win the gold medal, you're a celebrity and you make millions. Right. If you win the bronze or you come in fourth, you're nobody. Right. Right. And, there, and there's no professional tour to go to. Yeah, there's, no endorsements. Yeah. yeah. So there's this huge gap between yeah. – um, being, uh, what was her name, Betty, Mary Lou Retton? Right. Oh, and right. whoever came in second to Mary Lou Retton. Sure. Right. I think of Nadia, right. Nadia Komeninsky. Com yeah, Komenich. Yeah. Komenich. Yeah. yeah. Eastern European power. <laughs> and and um, the... Um, the first ten, right? Oh, yeah. gosh, yes. I remember her. Yes. But, but, but who came in second to her? 
We yeah. don't even remember. Yeah. Right. So you don't have this hierarchy, and mm-hmm. and you can make a good – in the tennis tour, you can make a good living if you're the 50th best player in sure. the world. Mm-hmm. So I it was – they, yeah. they, the coaches – have such life and death power over yeah. these girls. I yeah. mean, it's so hard to say, oh, you're a creep and a molester, and now I become a troublemaker, mm-hmm. a right. bad person, right. and yeah. I get kicked out. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially if you have other coaches. I mean, one of the things in the na- that came out of the NASA trial was there were the coaches, um, uh, uh, oh, shucks, uh, Co- uh, Cody, I can't remember the, um, he's very, very famous, but oh, basically his husband and wife. The Caroli Ranch. The Caroli Ranch. Another Eastern European. Right, exactly. But they were so um, Mm. restrictive and enforcive and Mm. um, some say mean that the girls would go to the only nice person they knew who happened to be Nasser. The Carolis were notorious for their abusive Mm -hmm. uh, practices of, you know, it's like any kind of abusive parent. Um, I treat you really rough. You're just about to break down. Then I give you a hug and say, right. I love you. And, right. okay, now you love me. And now I treat you rough again. And right. you yeah. put people on that yo-yo, and mm-hmm. they don't know what yeah. they think. And, and, of course, the thinking is, well, this will prepare you for life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because exactly. that's the only way life works. Right, exactly. <laughs> and that to segue, this is the last current event, and then we'll, we'll go into theater. Um, there have been two school shootings. There was one shooting on Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was another shooting on Tuesday. Right. And then there was a, a little girl, a 15-year-old girl in Florida right. who uh, committed suicide by hanging as a result of cyberbullying. And that happened uh, today. Um, I just it, – it's – I don't know how kids are just handling uh, life. I mean, you know, we, you know, like Nasser, you know, they're just a bunch I of kids. It's, I think it's just become – it's all become much more public than yeah. it was. And and so the pressures are. So you see, the pressures are, are exactly the same as it was in our I time. Think, no, well, I think the difference is it's amplified. All mm-hmm. the social media just amplifies everything. So you know, I felt bad today. I wore the wrong shirt today. I you know I sneezed in front of a pretty girl and everybody laughed at me. Oh, oh yeah. But now they've taken pictures and people have written it up. And when you come the next day, they're you know they're just after you after you after yeah, you. Yeah. It just resonates in a way that I think it. Probably yeah. didn't resonate for most of us back then. How's your son-in-law handling? I mean, how how's he doing these days? I mean, He's is he son-in-law? That's an interesting way to put it. Yeah, or I can say your son, stepson, stepson. Yeah. Oh, what, um, oh, what, yeah. I don't know what I was going to talk about. Go ahead. No, I, I, I joked about his half-sister, so he's got a yeah. – so I would say my stepsister-in-law. Yeah. I mean my stepdaughter-in-law. Yeah. Um, because it's just such – this is all weird. Instant family. It's <laughs> right. very yeah. bizarre. He's doing fine so far. Yeah. Um, you know, he's finishing up his sophomore year. He's looking pretty good. And more importantly um, – and it's so funny. It's that – Making sure you put the attention in when it's, you know, picking that opportune moment. So mm-hmm. freshman year, middle school, his mother and he were already battling about him making sure he'd get his homework done. Yeah. So by freshman year, he just was so tired of the nagging. Mm-hmm. And then he had friends who were apparently getting even more nagging or just more interested in homework. Yeah. And so that became the thing. You go home and you'd get on FaceTime with a friend and yeah. do your homework. Mm. And so he got in that habit. Okay. And so now he's in the habit of it. So he comes home and he still needs to be pushed every now and then, but he's really on top of it. Awesome. Um, and then on the other side of it, because I was really worried. He was coming from a private school and he's going to Oakland Tech. 
Oh, that's a big, that's and, a big switch. You know, especially with the pop music the way it is right now, I'm like, he's going to go around saying the N-word to the wrong person and somebody's going to pop him. Well, no, because they're all in that culture. They're all very familiar with that culture. Mm-hmm. And even if somebody has, you know, is sensitive to it, yeah. um, it's so accepted in his peer group that it's not a big deal. And, and, and he seems to have also toned it down just a little bit. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, he seems to be doing fine. So yeah, um, so he doesn't deal with the, he doesn't deal with appeal pressure or you know some of the stuff that we like cyberbullying and stuff. He's aware of it, and if something happens <coughs> at school, he's aware of it. But again, he's as likely to hear about it through social media mm-hmm. as he is directly. Yeah, you know, um, when we were in school, there could have been somebody who was being bullied. If they weren't part of our social circle, we may never have heard about it unless it became a big campus-wide thing. Mm-hmm. You may never know somebody's being tortured. Now, that person who you would know nothing about, you hear about because it's on social media. Yeah. Yeah, even push notification. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, so it's funny because there have been a few things. We'll say, oh, such and such was in the news. Most of the time he already knows about it, but sometimes he doesn't. Yeah. And it's like, well, it's at your school. Right. And it's in the news. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, think about like you, when you do each one, reach one, are you still doing that or, or have you, I know you're busy with other things, I, but do you still, I'm still on the roster and I mean, mm-hmm. they're actually going to start one next week and I'm not, I'm not going to be involved with it. Um, but, um, uh, hopefully at the end of the spring. Yeah. Because I th- really do think that theater is one of the best tools to teach kids how to handle Things. I mean, you know, back in our day, we had when we were young kids, mm-hmm. we had Sesame Street and Zoom and Romper Room and mm-hmm. other things that would teach us things. And um, I'm not sure. Well, you know, Sesame Street has been bought up by I think Disney, uh, HBO, HBO. That's HBO, right, HBO. Yeah. So I don't know if those there are tools that uh, I just don't know how kids are learning about how you know how to be. Self-confident. Well, it's not just kids, though. I mean, that's mm-hmm. it's funny because one of the stories, one of the Lucia Berlin stories takes yeah. place in prison. Hmm. And uh, and so we had – there's a local actor, and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to give him some privacy, so mm-hmm. I'm not just going to blast him all over the place. But he's been doing very well the yeah. last few years since he's, he's been out. He's out now. Yeah. So he came to talk to us about that experience. And the story focuses on – a teacher who is kind of our main character in all the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, she kind of takes a back seat in this story, but she is the the catalyst for change. Mm-hmm. She is the one that is getting these guys, and it's mostly guys, um, in this prison setting to start to look at the world in a different way. And he said for himself, and it's funny, he had not read the story, but when he described his experience in going through one of these Shakespeare in prison mm-hmm. things, um, the way, not just what it did to him, but the way it affected the room. And he said, first, you have to understand that nobody goes in there ready to like open themselves up to this experience. Mm-hmm. They just either they privately, secretly are curious about poss- the possibility of that, or they're just you know maybe they're literary minded or whatever. They're just looking for an outlet, mm-hmm. and um, and then suddenly they run into this thing where they have to kind of get in touch with their feelings and their sense of the world and a sense of empathy. Mm-hmm. And he said, and it's a weird thing because <coughs> you can't help it. When there's a guy who you cannot associate with, you know, just because of gangs or mm-hmm. race or whatever, um, and he does something really well or shares something that resonates with you, yeah. on that subconscious level, you are bonding with him. Yep. 
Yep. And yet, as soon as you walk out of that room, you have to go back to you're them and I'm us. And mm-hmm. and so it was wild to hear that that's, you know, I mean, it's one of the things I enjoy about theater. I love theater and theater people mm-hmm. because we share this appreciation. Yeah. But I love the fact that what it does for the world still seems to be important. Exactly. And that I think that's a wonderful segue into uh, what you wanted to talk about, Scott, as far as um, just the role of the playwright. You know, like when, you know, like pieces like the Lucia Berlin story mm-hmm. and other stories that bond people. It's not just, wow, that was a wonderful thing. I mean, there's there are theater pieces that go up on like ACT and the Orpheum or whatever mm-hmm. that entertains us. But that's it. But right. then there are other theater pieces that really bond us together, that mm-hmm. really helps us understand how other people live. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it has a, a, a greater purpose, mm-hmm. a, a more profound purpose. Well, it, it's funny. One thing I wanted to say apropos of, apropos of the last topic, though, mm-hmm. was, and it, it kind of leads into theater, too, I think, was how thin the line is between comedy and tragedy, Ooh, particularly yeah. when you're young. Mm-hmm. Um, the girl killing herself, what could be more tragic than yeah. her taking her own life at that age? But when you were saying that, I was thinking, well, comedy, I mean, there's, uh, I think it's the Bergman movie, Smiles of a Summer Night. They're either fighting a duel or one of the characters wants to commit suicide. But his, his old-fashioned 19th century pistol, mm-hmm. instead of shooting, the, it just sort of powder pops out of it. And he gets covered <laughs> in gunpowder. Yeah. And he, it looks like a clown. And then he laughs and says, what am I doing? Right. But it's a gun that actually worked. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. And when I was that girl's age, or maybe just a little older, mm-hmm. I was so in love with Cheryl Zaslowski, another mm-hmm. Eastern wow. European. Yeah. Eastern Europe role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and of the flashing black eyes and black hair. She was just, you know, wow. like, um, like a little bit like Elizabeth Taylor and I. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And and uh, she, for some inexplicable reason, decided she no longer wanted to go out with me. I don't know mm-hmm. how anyone can reach that <laughs> conclusion. <laughs> and yeah. I was so stricken by it that I thought, I don't want to live anymore. And I had this little flat. I was a freshman at college now, I realize. Mm-hmm. And I had this little flat, and I said it. I closed all the windows, and uh-huh. then I opened up the uh, gas, yes. the gas thing, and wow. I put my head in the gas, and I thought, this is it. I'm, I, I can't live without Cheryl. I'm going to not live wow. at all. Mm-hmm. And I was so depressed and so shaken. And so I'm lying there and sort of smelling the gas and lying there thinking, you know, this oven could really stand being cleaned. <laughs> 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 you know, how when was the last time I cleaned this oven? It's really filthy down here. Mm-hmm. And these thoughts sort of percolating. And, you know, this is rather an uncomfortable position. And right. And, you know, how serious am I actually about doing yeah. this? You know? yeah. and, and I thought, well, maybe I should just go get the Dutch boy or whatever right. it is. And, yeah, you know, it's never that serious. But I think I all of us have gone through that. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, turn the gas off. Yeah. And, and so there, I mean, but, uh, you know, that line is so thin between between life and death and theater and, and, and comedy and tragedy. And yeah. It just rips my heart out to think that that girl took her life. Yeah, 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 it is sad. I'm sure, you, have you gone through that? Like, let's say there was a young love that you had, and oh my God, you know, she doesn't love just, me anymore. Just, I think, the sense of not fitting. Yeah. Not fitting in sure. the world. And mm. I love, uh, Night Mother is one of my favorite plays, oh. and I love when she describes, you know, her metaphor for, she's trying to explain to her mother why she's going to kill herself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's right. <coughs> and... She says, Mama, imagine you're on a bus and you're on a long, bumpy road and it's a hot day and the windows don't come down and 
people are stinky mm. and you've got a headache and there's just this buzzing, this hum that mm. is driving you crazy and you wish you could get off the bus. Mm. And she's like, and I can. Oh, I can yeah. get off the bus yeah. and that's what I want to do. Mm. So I remember, you know, just having that sense of looking forward and not feeling like I saw where I was going. And, and more than that, more than that being a bothersome thought, feeling in contrast to what I felt like the rest of the world was told. You know, what we're raised with. You're going to grow up. You're going to marry somebody. You're going to mm-hmm. do this and that. Sure. And the other thing. And I'm the like, expectations, yeah. I can't figure out what to do for a career. I can't mm-hmm. get a relationship to work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm just, you know, all the things, all the little things. And I remember, yeah, just having and, – and too much free time. <laughs> idleness idleness will, will do it for you, yeah. And – I don't even remember how I got past it. I really don't. <clears throat> I just remember thinking if it all ended right now, that would be a sad little thing, but it would be a blip. Nobody would really care. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I remember I've never been suicidal as far as a woman's concerned, but I do remember there was a girl named Roxanne, oh. and I was in my second or third year. She was a wonderful Haitian-American living in uh, Brooklyn, New York, and I was in my third – no, my last year at NYU. And um, I remember, I think I think she was she was messing around with somebody, and I remember going to her um, apartment, and I was just outside looking at the the window, <laughs> or what I thought was the window. Right. Sort of like say anything. If you saw that movie with John uh, John, uh, John Cusack, yeah, a famous movie with John Cusack and Ione Sky, where he's just standing there looking in the window in the rain. Right. And I remember doing that, and I'm like. My God, it's it's like, you know, I've never taken a drug before, but it's almost like being on a drug, and it's well, like yeah, I got to get something much. out of my system. Yeah, and um, eventually I did. Eventually, I just you know went back to D.C. and just you know focused on life. And but also I was involved in a theater project. I was a stage manager for King Arthur, mm-hmm. a wonderful version of King Arthur, written wow. by N. Cronin Coyle. I'm sure I'm messing that name up, but it was wonderfully written. It dealt with the um, the um what is it the um the 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 uh the the um the holy grail thank you the holy grail ah! <laughs> wow, and um yeah it, it <laughs> yeah i'm gonna have to edit some of my ums out but and of course dealt with guinevere and all that stuff but it was really mm-hmm. really well written i mean there have been tons of versions of king sure. arthur right but it touched on the holy grail and religion mm-hmm. and other things, and it was really, really w- well written, and did, also Mordred as well. Did it have a title like The White Company or something like that? Because I think Arthur Conan Doyle wrote a book that may, maybe was adapted for yeah. a theatrical thing that was about the yeah. search for the Grail and but no, the I other think, world. And all yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Oh. No, it was called King Arthur, and actually there was even oh. music to it. Wow. Look mm-hmm. not to thy sword, famous but a breath, and all that sort of stuff. Wow. But being involved in theater, being busy, that right. helped me out. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. So. Yes. Just to uh, get back to your theme about um, uh, playwrights and yes. the training of playwrights, um, I um, I think today is my last day of gainful employment. And my oh. company that I work with, uh, they had a, another wonderful downsizing, and guess who got downsized? Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, so um, my background is sort of both as an instructional designer that creates training programs for uh-huh. companies and also as a playwright. Right. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Frost has that wonderful line about trying to unite your avocation and your vocation huh, on uh-huh, site. Uh-huh. And I've been thinking about how playwrights are trained. Yeah. Huh. And and th- that was something because, 
my experience as a playwright getting sort of trained was kind of like joining playwright groups, and we would sit around mm-hmm. tables and right. read our pages to each sure. other, and mm-hmm. you know, and maybe you know, you would play you know the heroine, and you would play the hero, and sure. you know, and I would play the police inspector, and yeah, and, and we would just sort of read it and listen <coughs> to it, and you know, one of the things that struck me is that like when you go to writers' conferences. That's not too greatly different from the model that's used by poets and fiction writers. You mm-hmm. know, you sit at a table with with your fellow writers and you read pages and you you critique critique them. Right. And I think what's what's so difficult about uh, that model for theater is, you know, something that uh, you might even read flat actually plays beautifully on stage, and vice mm-hmm. versa. Something right. that sounds really good on, yeah. on stage comes off as is kind of maybe talky or, or, or um, overdone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I've just been thinking that I may go back to school and uh, you know, turn my, uh, my misfortune into an opportunity. And I'm very curious to sort of study how um, various cultures have approached the creation of theater and who actually creates it. Right. You know, is it, is it, is it this kind of writer figure who... I think Dorothy, the Dorothy Sayers, who wrote the Lord Peter Whimsey books, has this wonderful book called The Mind of the Maker, where she says God is like a playwright. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, being a playwright, that rather appealed to me. And, mm-hmm. you know, that you know, you're moving these characters around in your universe, but they have a certain degree of free will because the actors can do what, what they like. Right. And that's one way of thinking of it. But are there other ways of thinking about it historically that have been where the, the playwright is, is, isn't so... Um, Divorced mm-hmm. from the theatrical experience, like here, are, here's my play. Yeah, mm-hmm. please, right. you know, you guys put it on, and I'll sit in the back and glower every time you do something <laughs> wrong. Yeah, you know, is there is there is there some way that that integrates playwrights, or maybe the company itself is a lot more responsible yeah. for creating the play, and the and there's somebody who maybe is I, um, yeah, I've got some a thought writer maybe. I, I can con- I can attest to because I've been a part of playwright groups, mm-hmm. and I can attest to how. It really doesn't work for me because, um, number one, as you say, um, sometimes you don't get the reading that right. you want. Right. A lot of times people really don't want to read your play. They want to read – you want they want you to read their play. It's right. like, okay, let me get finished with Reg's thing. Okay, let's do mine. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> Which is understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times you don't, there's just not a lot of time. You know, if you're right. together for an hour or two hours, that's one play. Mm-hmm. And if you got five right. people, you know, you may not have your stuff written read until a of the weeks. fifth week yeah. or a couple of weeks. Yeah. And you don't know who's leading it and, you know, the the ulterior motives and that sort of stuff. I've been invo- I've been involved in two of them and I've never liked the deadlines. I've never liked uh, mm-hmm. let's say one person maybe leading it, residing it and mm-hmm. let's say the vibe isn't there. And there was one reading where it was just speaking as a black man different culturally. Mm-hmm. They didn't get my rhythm of where I'm coming from and mm-hmm. what my writing is coming from, mm-hmm. and it just rubbed them the wrong way. Right. And I'm like, okay, why am I doing this? And it's even harder when you're getting when you're paying someone to do it. I mean, a lot of these writing groups they want money, and it's like, okay, who's benefiting more, them or me? Mm-hmm. Well, that's and, and so that be the question I'd ask you, Scott. Is are there experiences, organizations that you've had? that you've gotten to work with here where you felt like they had a model? What, what models seem to be useful? I, 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 that's a fascinating question. I think that what happens in, in, in standard sort of sit around the table and read it is that it, it takes a tremendous 
um, intellectual discipline not to go to, well, if I were writing this play, here's what I would do. Right. And, and of course, I'm interested in kitchen sink realism, so I would take out all the stuff about, you know, the god Gilgamesh walking in there, and I would focus more on the brother and the son's relationship mm -hmm. and what happened to him in the army, you know, that kind of stuff. Whereas when I feel that you work with more directly in an atmosphere with directors and writers while you're developing the play, they, they don't. They don't bring that kind of, you know, if I were writing the play perspective. They, they're inhabiting the play, and mm -hmm. their questions are completely different than, you know, like, you know, whose play is it, and what's at stake, and, mm -hmm. you know, the kinds of things that, that you know, are valuable questions, but but to me don't, don't, inc don't excite in the same way. You know, in my own experience... I have found the best, the most exciting thing is like when you come, like if it's a play festival, and you come with a first draft, and you get to see a, hear a reading of it, and then you talk to the actors, and then you come up with another mm -hmm. uh, you know, creation, and they do another version of it, and you're sort of, you've got the pressure of a deadline, but you're, you're doing it in steps where yeah. they're, they're giving you feedback. Like I felt, and, and to me, the questions were like, the most happy, interesting questions are things like, I didn't know what to do next, or I mm -hmm. didn't know why I was picking up that gun, right. or, you know, at, you know, those things where you feel like they're giving you that feedback of, I'm the person who's up here, not you, Scott. I'm, mm -hmm. the, I'm the physical human body that's up here, right. and I'm the one feeling awkward and uncomfortable because I'm not sure what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. right. You know, that, I think, is gold as a, as a right. writer, and... I'm just wondering if there are ways to, um, to, to, and, and I think part of this is that is just the is it just a supply and demand problem that there mm -hmm. are so many more writers and manuscripts than there mm -hmm. are f theater companies to mm -hmm. produce them. Yeah, it, well, uh, I was going to ask you, mm -hmm. how does Playground do it? I mean, Playground has a, well, playgrounds, a community. Playgrounds, well, they've got a community. So what they do is they you apply mm -hmm. for the season. They read through people's stuff and decide these are the uh, these are the writers that we're mm -hmm. going to have for the season. And then every month, that group of writers is sent a theme or some you know something to play with, something to start from. Mm -hmm. And they have a week. I mean, if if they have very little time to come mm -hmm. up with a short piece, ten minute piece. Um, and then that ten minute piece is thrown into the hands of a director and some actors for one rehearsal, and you put it up. So, and it's funny because uh, to me, there are different organizations with different missions and different approaches to new material. Um, I'm carpooling now with young writer Ryan, who is in the Lucia Berlin, and he's out of the ACT program. Hmm. So, he's a young actor, he's down in LA, he's been out for a few years now, um, you know, getting a feel for what the world is. And now he's back up here for this show, and he's talking about, well, I knew the Bay Area, but I was very really focused on school and didn't get to know the scene much, and so we're talking about the scene. And I said, well, you've got companies like the Magic Theater, and I don't know what the Magic Theater's mission is anymore. I mean, mm -hmm. literally, I could look on their website to see if their mission is different than what it was originally because mm -hmm. they held on to the identity of being the New Works Theater, mm -hmm. which in the 80s – you know, in the 70s, there was nobody else doing that. Very mm -hmm. few across the country. 
Um, I think the point at the point where they pronounced that as their mission, no major theater company had that as their mission. But now every major theater company, pretty much every major theater company, is looking at new works. You know, yeah, they may be yeah. doing a season of other stuff, but they mm-hmm. are open to it, and they have um, they are getting funded for development, whatever that means. So, seeing that spectrum, I'm like, this is a little weird to have a company that is, you know, their their claim to fame. <laughs> Is to do the same thing. It would be like saying, I tie my shoes. (laughs) Okay, cool. Before there were shoestrings, that might have been an innovative thing. But it isn't anymore. But um, I've worked a lot with the Playwrights Festival. And I realized there are steps in development. And you have to figure out. And I've I've fought with playwrights about this. Hmm. You want me to do a reading of your play. You want me to direct a reading of your play. Are you doing this just so you can hear how people respond yes. to the words you yeah. put on the page. That's one thing. Are you doing this to present a piece that you feel is pretty good and worth putting out to the public? Mm-hmm. Maybe it needs some more adjustments, but that it's in pretty decent shape. And you want to present that so that you can show the world, show whoever your public is, mm-hmm. that this is a piece worth considering. That's a totally different approach. And, and you know what's interesting? You're in a very unique position, Norman, because you've worked with a bunch of new playwrights. I mean, you work with bloody playwrights like Jeannie Baroga, yeah. Richard Talavera. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there are plenty of others that I haven't even remembered. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they come to you, you wanting to work on their plays, either as a director or as an actor. Yeah. And they have different perspectives. So you have to ask oh. them, what are you looking for when right. you do this uh, Well, report? what I found is that's a useless question. I don't know what you do, Scott, when somebody asks you that. But if I get, you give me your play and I'm like, so what is it you want with this? Because the answer I generally get is basically everything. Yeah. <laughs> In other words, they think it's polished already. I, no. I, want, I know it needs work and I want to do some work on it, but I want you to present it. As if, you know, you simultaneously fix it and present it as if it's ready to go. <laughs> the one thing, I, I agree. I mean, I think that is a, the typical playwright response and, and it's not likely to change anytime soon. But, right. but the, um, you know, the, I, when you said uh, about Playground, it reminded me that I just recently did something with Silicon Valley Shakespeare, which I thought mm-hmm. was really fascinating, though it was exhausting. It was a kind of a fundraiser promotional thing for their mm-hmm. summer program. So I, it was I remember this. This is the 48-hour thing? The 48-hour thing. We were given a play. In my case, it was King Lear and a sport. In my case, it was baseball, and you had 48 hours to write it. And you, no, wait a second. You had uh, 12 hours. Right, as the writer, yeah. To write from 6.30 in the night on Friday to six to noon. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many hours 18, that is. Yeah. Eight, thank you. From 6.30 at night on Friday till noon on um, Saturday. To write um, a 10, 12-minute play as though um, King Lear had, it, had somehow occurred in a, Shakespeare, in a baseball environment. Right. So it was exhausting. And then you went to the actors, and they had to memorize it and get it up. So, mm-hmm. you know, you had to make whatever changes you thought were helpful in the sp- on the spot. Right. And that segues into my thing about readings, that I really don't like readings. <laughs> I, I, I really don't because I think what readings encourage – is the idea that you only have one arrow in your quiver, and that's dialogue. Uh-huh. And and I think, back to the co- original question about um, playwrights, I think one of the reasons, um, one of the problems that playwrights have, and I, I see it quite a bit, is because you can at least hear your dialogue mm-hmm. in a... Um, uh, uh, in a reading, you start to get dialogue heavy. 
that's the only thing you can really evaluate in a reading. Mm. So if you have something mm. that says like, as he's saying this line, he, saying these lines, he's jumping rope, or as he's saying these lines, he's shadow boxing, or mm-hmm. as, you know, as he's saying these lines, he's juggling. Well, the actor right. can't possibly do that in a right. reading, and so or make it meaningful. Or yeah. make it meaningful. You know, you know, it, it's whereas when you see it in, th- you know, with the actor's body doing something, which to me is one of the real reasons to do theater as opposed to television because you can do television now that is really rich and and but you don't have the physical sense of like your body is just mm-hmm. a few you know a fi- foot or two from mine right I'm, and so is regis i'm very aware of your physical bodies as right. I, i'm talking to mm-hmm. you i'm bet- i'm between the two of you right. right and you know one of the first things that you learn when you're working in theater and everything is about the dynamics that are set up on stage between where the physical bodies of the actors are. Mm-hmm. And I just love the, the idea that um, dialogue isn't the only arrow in our quiver, that we can do things that uh, are, are really physically expressive. Mm. And that's one of the things that I w- wish actors could. And that's why I'm really interested in other world traditions and pre-Shakespearean traditions yeah. in English. Mm-hmm. You know, <coughs> when it was much more mm-hmm. well, we just can't stand here and yak at them. We've got to, you know, juggle or mm-hmm. or, or or you know, uh, jump up and down or, or pretend to be a horse or something that has a physical where the actor's body really is 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 physically active. That's why my favorite venue are like small theaters where mm-hmm. you're really aware of the physical body of the actor. Right. It's yeah. He's well, right on top <coughs> of you, so to I speak. I think about Anton's well. Remember, what was the piece that they did where there was so much physical activity? Uh, tender Napalm? Yeah, Tender Napalm. Oh, oh. Yeah, just yeah. reminds me of that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I wish I'd seen that then because uh, yeah. that's really... And what I'm curious, uh, back to your original question, sure. is, is you know, maybe using a university that would have a dance department and a theater department and an anthropology department and all these places mm-hmm. where you could talk to people and say, well, you know, in New Guinea, they like to do this. Sure. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. would just start learning things that were beyond <coughs> the, you know, I've written a line, here's your page, yeah. here's your page, let's hear let's hear. You know, it's funny, as, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about, like, the history of theater. I think all of us know about um, the God Dionysus and Greek theater and how sure. theater began and Thespis was the first. But the idea of theater was not to, you know, do something entertaining to the audience, but it was really as a, a something to give to the, the to the gods. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think about Vlach Havel. I think of um, Hungary. I think it's I think he's Hungarian. Yeah. Um, and Lech Walesa of Poland. Mm-hmm. I think Havel is a Czech. Yeah, thank uh, you, thank you. Uh, Eastern <laughs> Europe is ruling today. Right, exactly. Yes. 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 But oh, so obnoxious. Uh, and, and, and also Bertolt Brecht. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. they when they created theater, it wasn't so much for entertainment, but it's like, hey, this is a purpose. I want to get my word out mm-hmm. because something is not being said mm-hmm. out in the world. It was almost like news. It was almost like, you know, forget about what you read in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. This is what's really happening in the streets. Yes. Political theater. It's a lot like what Richard Talavera was talking about. Yeah. And when I think about a playwright, I guess when you talk about, you know, what new approach a playwright has, I guess the other question is, what is the playwright's purpose? What are you trying to do? What, you know, what, what, what is your voice? I mean, what are you trying to convey? Well, that's, it seems to me, and, mm-hmm. you know, I definitely want to hear your perspective, but today, if you're a playwright, you kind of have to figure out who it is you're working with. Right. And what is possible with them? 
you know, do you give them free reign or do you say, no, 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 I'm really clear that what I'm trying to accomplish with this is this. And I think you people can handle this for me. Hmm. I mean, that's why I ask about different organizations. I'm sure different companies have different ways of dealing with live playwrights. I, I, I'm almost never in a room with a playwright where I don't at some point make the joke that, you know, if we didn't have the writer here. Yes. <laughs> and, and I purposely make that because I want to point out the writer is here. Yes. And we are not just free to do whatever we think. There's somebody here who actually had something in mind. I love it when I can – what's happened a number of times for me with a playwright is to have them come up to me during a break or something usually and say – you did this or you said this about what was going on and I never thought about that. And before I can apologize, they're like, no, 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 I, I never thought about it, but you're right, it's there. And I'm like, well, well then that's that's what this is for. Well, one of the most exciting pornographic experiences in a playwright's life is when some other bit of business uh, you never dreamed of gets this huge laugh or reaction and people come up to you and say, oh, that was brilliant when you dropped the gun and you're going... <laughs> <laughs> Even if you didn't want to drop the gun. Well, you know, it's a collaborative process. But, um, you know, I, I've encountered so many times mm-hmm. when I'm working with a, an actor or director that they'll, they'll make this kind of this um, almost apologetic um, uh, script uh, talk where like, the actors are probably going to be really nervous because you're there and right. you're go- they're going to think you're judging them and mm-hmm. people all know stories about you know, playwrights who sit there with a stopwatch and that speech was supposed to take seven and a half seconds right. and you know you took 12 seconds you know speed it up mm-hmm. and I, I may go to the other extreme I kind of go to the knock yourself out do whatever you want mm-hmm. you know I, I don't have a this is the right way to do it mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. I've you know it's some music it's mm-hmm. on a it's, I've written it down I don't you know What's the right exact tempo where you should emphasize things? Mm-hmm. You do what you think feels right when you're playing it, and and then we'll talk about it. it mm-hmm. And let and let go of the reins. Yeah. I mean, I think the okay. idea that you really want to, I'm, you know, this is still mine. No, it isn't. It's theirs. You've given oh. them a gift. Mm-hmm. Let go of it. See what they can do with it. I mean, if they come up and they do something that just you know, radically seems wrong to you, right. you can say, but always err on the side of giving the director and the actors freedom to do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why you're in theater, mm-hmm. to work with creative people and let them, let them ride the horse wherever mm-hmm. the animal want to. That's, that's kind of how I feel. It's not, yeah. No. <coughs> yeah a lot of, it is a lot like, you know, your child is going to daycare and it's like, okay, I've, I've got to let the daycare folks handle it unless I feel they can't handle it. Right. But I think what you were saying, Norman, is, um, does like Scott? Do you feel that let's say if you're working with um, the DMT, you have to construct a play for the DMT because you know who you're working with, the organization you're working with? Do you sort of um, like a tailor, handcraft a play mm-hmm. for? Or like the uh, what is the place? The pair. Sure. Yes. Down on the peninsula, I know that they have a way of wanting to work with new works, but I've not seen any of it. Oh, no, that's not true. Yeah. I did go down to see. Uh, or do the, the other way around? Do you like have a play? regardless of who you're working with, and then you find an organization that will do it. Well, it's, it's funny because sometimes you'll hear that the, that the organization is really conservative and there's some things you better not do or you shouldn't do because you're going to be pointlessly offending the audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? and, I, you know, and so, like, don't use a lot of blue language, for sure. example, and all that sort of stuff. But it's funny because, like you mentioned the DMT, when we did Ideal Husband, I put in a... Um, 
you know, a relatively explicit, you know, little plot line about interracial gay sex. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, most people would say that that audience Mm -hmm. was pretty conservative. Right. And that they would look at something like that and kind of go, you know, that's, that's, we want to see Neil Simon. This is not (laughs) what we want to see. (laughs) Right. It killed. It absolutely killed. It got the biggest gasp laugh I've ever gotten in the theater. Oh, fantastic. And, and nobody, you know, well, maybe somebody, you know, went back and stewed about it. But if you're talking about the audience reaction. Right, that reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That reaction, when you do get it, God knows it's infrequent <laughs> enough, but when you get it, yeah. you just go, oh, man, that really worked. Yeah. And, and so I'm, I'm hesitant to to get too much. Like, I'm working in the suburbs now. I better be careful with, you know. Because, um, you know, I, I think, I think people will 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 go with you if you if you kind of earn their trust, mm-hmm. you know. And you know, it, it's a delicate thing. But if if you they feel like you're taking them on a nice trip, then you can kind of go wherever you want to. But you you know, it, it's it's a really a delicate question. But mm-hmm. I don't know. yeah. Yeah, I think about um, so Gary Graves. We had Gary Graves on, and he uh, has he runs the um, Central Works, and he also has a class at Berkeley Rep. At, yeah. at the Berkeley Rep, and you're talking about technique. I mean, you know, one technique that he has, um, I think, it's a seven course class, and the first course he's basically just talking about theater in general. It's not like your typical class where you know the instructor says hey open up your textbooks and this is this and this and this is the regimen this is what we're going to do Mm -hmm. gary basically says listen this is how theater has been some theater folks do it this way some writers handle it this way these are the different styles of theater Mm -hmm. um but you do whatever you want to do but this is about this is how the business is i mean if you do things one particular way you're gonna have to find an audience you're gonna have to find a company that will actually do it and a producer and all that stuff yes and then after that, and, that, and that's day one. And then day two, he's like, "Okay, go for it. Let me." You know, and and it's in piecemeal. It's like first, give me a character analysis of your favorite character. Mm-hmm. Who's your protagonist? Who's your antagonist? Just write me a uh, summary of who he is or who she is. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe day two, give me three pages mm-hmm. of a scene, mm-hmm. and we'll cut it up and you know and whatever. And usually, we learn through the back and forth. From the interaction from other folks, and it's different from, let's say, a, a writing group, uh-huh. where number one, you don't get that much of, um, you know, you don't have a teacher or someone, you know, guiding you through it all. Right. But uh, you have, um, b- but basically, I get think the back and forth within that particular class. It works. That's one way of doing it. I mean, I'm sure there are a bunch of other ways. I like your idea of. How is it done in New Guinea? How is it done uh, elsewhere? You know, how, uh, right. like the No Theater, I hear about the NOH Theater. Yeah. Oh, I love is that. that. Uh, is that Japan? That is yeah, Japan. Japan. And yeah. They are an enormous influence on me. I, I, I think I think his name is Zayami, I think is one of the great geniuses mm-hmm. of world theater. And mm-hmm. it's a shame that I, I think I could go into most theater groups and said, hey, anybody here know who Zayami is? And I think, you know, <laughs> no. they, I'd get this look like. Most people, sure. yeah, most people sure. don't get exposed to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, and. You know, I think too. Just l- when I was listening to, it, I was thinking, well, you know, this is kind of a, a kind of a two, at least a two-part experience because one of them is about this creation of of a draft of a script, you mm-hmm. know, and all of these are questions are valuable. But I think where we let playwrights down is is 
well, one, letting them know what the total vocabulary of theater is. Mm -hmm. You know, it isn't just dialogue. But I also think we, you know, when I think about how many great playwrights have actually been Mm -hmm. practical theater people, that, you know, they've had to play parts, they've had to do makeup, they've had to sew up their costumes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think... Those experiences are extremely valuable for a writer mm-hmm. to have. I mean, it, it lets you know what you can and cannot do physically on a stage. Right. And, and uh, you know, in a way, I think it's reveal far more revealing of what you can do rather than what you can't do. Mm-hmm. And that it's, it's, it's wonderful for... Uh, for actors to sort of, you know, break through that, that little prison of uh, I'm the person who sits at a desk with a word processor and you're the person who, and, you know, gets up on stage and does something and get more of a felt understanding mm-hmm. of what, what's that li- what that's like. And when I think of most of the playwrights that I admire, they were working theater people. The one thing I would say, if I may pati- pontificate one uh, mm-hmm. second longer, is that I don't really think writers should be directors. Oh, we've I talked th- about this before. Yeah. I, th- I think they should be producers. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, f- learning how the whole process works, yeah. putting together the team, understanding the total, yeah. you know, like Daisy Nesky is your costume person. What is her, What does she like to do with costumes? Sure. You know, and who's your lighting person? And, and, and being part of that experience mm-hmm. and what's their budget and what can you do? Yeah. Right. It's great to understand all that, yeah. and but I I do think that when it comes down to the, um, uh, now where is he going to stand? What's he physically going to do? That, that that's kind of a nice time to let go of the reins. That's exactly right. You got to let other folks get into their artistry. I mean, uh-huh. the costume designer has her or his artistry, right? And and the lighting designers and all of that sort of stuff. I really, I mean, it, it you know, it sounds like you know, I'm, I feel bad that you're out of. A job, you know, we were talking, and I think <laughs> you're doing well. You know, you're smiling and all that stuff. But now, is, I guess, would be the time to maybe think about how to craft. I mean, you could have your own little sort of technique or way of doing it. I would go to a Scott Munson school hey. of, of playwriting. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll offer you a scholarship. Hey, that would be great. If I, my, my ideas are very nebulous and, and, yeah. and, 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 and you know, not formed, yeah. about particularly about how practically this would work. But uh, I feel very excited about um, about learning, mm-hmm. and you know I I think one of the secrets of happiness in life is that sense that you don't know things. Sure. Yeah. You know you don't you're not putting yourself in this little cubicle and saying to the world, well, you know I know everything there is to know about this process or procedure. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, I've been doing this same thing for <coughs> twenty years. Yes. Right. Right. Exactly. But you've earned enough prestige. I mean, you know, you've worked at a bunch of theater companies, and, you know, you, you've written a lot of stuff. So I think, you know, that would be the one thing if, as a budding playwright, I would want to go to someone who is established. So, mm-hmm. Well, I, I, and the thing I'm going to flip on it, too, is I had, I had this wonderful experience recently at, at UC Santa Barbara. I just, out of the blue, a young woman called me. Oh, gosh, and I can't remember her name. I'm so, mm-hmm. I'm getting bad with names. Mm-hmm just called me out of the blue and said, um, you know, I read one of your plays and I want to direct it here. And awesome. That. And it was, yeah, it was completely out of the blue. And I went down there to see the show. And I think that's that's kind of where the seed of, like, going back to school was planted. Mm-hmm. Because, wow, it's great being on a campus. I haven't been on a campus in forever. Uh-huh. Yeah. And unless it was for business. Right. And, and 
but also I just had the tremendous feeling that I was learning so much from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that, that their perspective is so different from mine, that they, what, they, what they know mm-hmm. is so much different from what I know. Yeah. And it isn't like I'm the, you know, the wise old owl who's handing down, you know, the mm-hmm. good things I learned up there on mm-hmm. Mount Rushmore or something. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 they know so much. Yeah. They have so much to, 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 to teach me. And that's, I think, where the seed got planted. It would be really wonderful to go back to school and mm-hmm. all Take that great stuff. Take advantage of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, it's an amazing way to be creative. Yes. And I, and I talk about it a lot. I, I'm, I'm. A little frustrated because I'm in two processes right now where we are required to have a lot of input into the shape of what's going on, mm-hmm. and you know, and that's that takes a lot of energy. Oh God, it, yeah. It, it's um, so when I'm not doing it, I find myself just wanting I want to read a comic book <laughs> or I just want to lay down, <laughs> right, and just stare or listen to you know, mm-hmm. sort of half listen to the radio. That's yeah. I just. I just need to zone. Or jump into YouTube well. <laughs> what I call a YouTube well. Yeah, no, I totally get you. Um, what it makes me realize is that's been my career for a long time mm. is to work in that way. So I'm not somebody who goes to a cubicle and 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, does the same thing. And then where do I have the time and energy for anything else? Right. Unfortunately, I do it in these bursts. Yeah. And then I've got to figure out when the next – Opportunity is going to come up to have another burst. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny, I come from the opposite direction. I am the guy who's in a mm-hmm. cubicle or, you know, copying, you know, from nine to five or whatever. And it's hard, you know, and that's why I need the theater to sort of, you know, have a life outside of my day job. And it's tough. So, right. you know, you have idleness is, is a tough thing for you when you right. are idle. Right. And I'm looking for those idle times because I'm like, okay, now I've got some free time. Now I've got to squeeze in my theater. Mm-hmm. So well, no, I do, and I feel fortunate to yeah. be given the opportunity to go. Okay, so I'm going to come in. So with Lucia Berlin, I'm. We all are. We've been given the short story, then we've been given a basic break breakdown by the director, and now that we're on our feet, we're having to say, well, that you know, I can't say that sentence. I can't start that sentence, and be another yeah. character as I finish the sentence. I. I you know, there are moments when that's possible, but as just a you know a normal interaction, no, I can't. I can't be two people. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so somebody else has to take that other half of the sentence, or we have to, like, there have been a few places where they've gone, we're going to have a little musical break here mm. because we do want you to transform. Okay. You give me a moment. Give me a moment to turn around and put a jacket on, and yeah, wow. <laughs> I can do that. And. Yeah, I come away and my brain feels like it's just been heated slightly and no. maybe it's thrown mm-hmm. in a microwave. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Ah. But I love I love the – one of the things that has been my goal with the podcast is to make sure that we are sort of identifying those organizations that are doing things that we're like, wow, this is really unique and specific to what is Bay Area theater. Yes. You know, and it's, it's exciting to be able to identify I, those. I'm so excited by this show. I mean, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing it, what you guys do with it when it's up on its feet. Because uh, you know, from the way you describe the process, it sounds really fascinating and different. And I think that's what I'm really in, inclined to. I want to see different approaches. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, gosh, I really like that. And, you know, or, or, you know, that kind of worked, but I'm not sure. But that's what's important, the stimulus of new approaches and new ideas. Right. I, I, that, yeah. that's, that's critical. And it helps all of us grow. I mean, yes. when I see theater that is radically different. Mm-hmm. I'm not pushed away about it. I'm like, okay, wow, this is different. Let me soak it up and see, 
you know, what it's all about. Mm-hmm. So we are past the one hour mark. Shout outs. We should shout outs. Um, so we did birthdays, so I'm not going to do birthdays yeah. this week. I'll I've got pick two it up quick birthdays. Uh, Jim, for, Jim for Dennis. Uh, today is his birthday. He's Happy 56 birthday, years old. Happy birthday, Jim. Yay. That's right. Formerly of the Darkroom Theater. Yay. And a great man and a wonderful human being. We love you, Jim. We really do. And how's your dog? <laughs> exactly. And uh, Catherine Heck, she's a uh, actress um, of the DMT. We will share the stage 110 in the shade. Uh, uh-huh. Her birthday is tomorrow? I believe it's tomorrow. Uh, actually, no, it's today. That's it. That's all well, I have. Well, you <laughs> were, that was well, such a good show, 110 in the State. And you were you were the lead in that show, right? That's right, Bill Starbuck. You you played the bottom out of that. Wow. That was really so great. Much. That was a great show. I really loved it. Well, that. I wanted to mention um, a couple that we didn't talk about. Lifer, which we sort of mentioned a couple of weeks ago, but I want to mention again because it's running through – Looks like through this weekend. Wow, January just went quick. Oh, mm. yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's at the flight deck. Uh, this is the lower bottom players. Um, they really kind of made a name for themselves by doing the whole August Wilson canon. They are, wow. I think, the only company in the country who has gone through the whole canon of wow. the August, this whole cycle, the Philadelphia yeah, cycle. Has they been doing it like chronologically? I or? think they did, wow. but I'm I'm not clear. Um, That's but incredible. yeah, they finished that up. Um, this is an original piece by the uh, the founder of the company, um, and I'm not going to try and say her name because <laughs> I'll mess it up. Um, <laughs> oh, give it a rip! <laughs> uh, but it's called Lifer, and it's about a man. It's a true story about a man <laughs> who um, was in prison for a long time and got out. So that whole process and. So I, one of the things I love about the poster is they have, like, the actor who's playing the main character, and then they have a very aged mm. image of him. So half his face is young, half his face is older. Wow. Um, so that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this other show I'm just fascinated with, <laughs> um, Elizabeth, I had said Elizabeth Carter directed yeah. this uh, piece that was just finished at um, the uh, costume shop, ACT's costume shop in San Francisco. Um, bondage that just finished last weekend. Uh, the same company, Altered Theater, who produced that show, is has another show that's up called Cow Pie Bingo. Hmm. Wow! And I don't know anything else about it, but it's in <laughs> San Rafael and it runs through this weekend. And I'm not going to get to see it because I'm in rehearsal. I'm performing. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I've got uh, my performances: uh, summer, winter, spring. I'm going to rehearsal today. We got a show Friday and Saturday at eight o'clock. At the Minnesota Street, Minnesota Street Project, which is, you know, somebody told me it was a gallery in a warehouse, and I went and I saw, oh my, it's somebody with a lot of money redid this. These oh, are nice. really incredible galleries. Mm-hmm. Um, they just had an opening two weeks ago. Um, you know, a night they usually do a monthly thing where they have openings, and so there were a bunch of galleries that were opening. Um, we put our film up there, summer, winter, spring, and so we'll be doing live performance with the film this Friday and Saturday. Nice. Yeah. And I think... And uh, there is a stage reading of The Politician at the Alterina Play- Playhouse. Uh, Kari Moy, our uh, good friend, will be Oh, that's that. right. Oh, and yeah. also Wayne Rohde. Uh, I don't know mm. if you know Wayne Rohde. I don't. I do. Yes. Um, he's a uh, longtime stage manager at the uh, DMT, DMT yeah. but he's also an actor yes. and... Um, we uh, did a podcast a while back, which we hope to revive. Um, but, yeah, so he's doing The Politician. That'll be January the 28th, the Sunday. And that's all that I have. Scott, can Scott, I do yes. a couple of quick questions? Of course. Of course. Um, my dear friend Ben Ortega is playing uh, the lead. I think it's Winston in um, 
1984, which I think is. Oh, all right. Oh, where's this? I wow. think it's in Los Altos. Uh, I, want, I, I, I think if you. I, I think Ben Ortega. Yeah, he's he's a really good actor. It's, I think it's. I wasn't prepared with my little shit. You guys oh. are so much better prepared than I am. We're just looking at our cell phones. <laughs> I think I think it's in Los Altos, Los Altos stage or something like that. But I think mm-hmm. I think. And then the other one is at Actors Theater Santa Cruz. Uh, a really dear friend and colleague, Spike Wong, is having uh, a couple of plays done as part of their eight tens at eight oh. down there. So I think they I'm going to be going down there. I think this Saturday, but mm-hmm. uh, I think it still runs. And I think this might be the closing weekend. I'm not sure, but oh. Spike is just a great guy and a great writer. And mm-hmm. I, I, if you're down there in Santa Cruz, I yeah. highly recommend it. And uh, one final call, shout out for uh, Streetcar Named Desire that'll be opening with uh, Ubuntu here mm-hmm. in Oakland. Yeah, a um, couple of weeks. And, um, and Carrie's in that one too, isn't he? Isn't he Stanley Kowalski? No, no, he's going to be in. That's uh, going to be another Apple Shakes. Yeah, oh, yeah. Apple Shakes. Kari Moy. Yeah, yeah. That's a, there's yeah. another Streetcar Named Desire. I've been yeah. confused between the streetcars. It's going to be two streetcars this yeah. year at least. So the Asian Stanley is yours, Ubuntu. Yes, yes. And then African Shakes will be having a black. Um, yeah, Black Stanley, Black, yeah. Black Stanley. See them both. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so well, they're, they're they're sure to be very different. Yeah. So. yeah. Uh, hey, see both of them. Yep. Yeah. So when when is when is Ubuntu's street uh, open? I think they open the second. Um, In February? Uh, February. Awesome. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm supposed to be selling subscriptions, so if anybody's interested in getting a real good deal on a, <laughs> on a subscription, season subscription, mm-hmm. talk to me. Awesome. So since that's on the second, does that mean we're not – are we doing anything on the second? Well, I'm not in that. That's oh, okay. streetcar. Okay, got it. And i got to figure out when I'm yeah. going to that. But I, kn- I know you're a board member of Ubuntu. I don't know if it's required. I'm, not, I'm a company member. A company member. I don't know if you, you are I'm required I'm supposed to, be- to go to the opening, but – I got to figure out with my rehearsal schedule when I can go because sure. we're we'll be getting close to tech. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think they open the week before we go into tech, so I should be able to go. <laughs> but after a full day of rehearsing, you mm-hmm. know, I think we get done with our rehearsals at on one of Saturdays. I think our rehearsals end at seven. Oh, and I'm like, okay, I could race back across the bay and try to get to this show. <laughs> I gotta we'll, do we'll it. We'll I gotta figure it, it out. Yeah. Can I just do one last thing? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, sure. I, I just want. I mentioned the uh, the forty eight hour Shakespeare thing. That was the brilliant idea of of um, oh Angie Higgins. Excuse me, mm. my memory's a little shaky these days. Angie Higgins, the artistic director down there, and the show was directed by Cynthia Lagodzinski. Wow, European, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. and she. Uh, we're, and we're gonna get her on the show. Oh, you, she yeah. is a total <laughs> trip. You we we shared the stage with her on the skin of our teeth. Uh-huh. And uh, yes, well, that was a good show. That was well, a that'd be wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. those are the, those are the last ones I can remember yeah, exactly. in the moment. <laughs> all right, here we go. Here's my blurb. You can find the Yay on the Apple Podcast app on all iPhones and iPads. You can also find the Yay on iTunes. Just click on iTunes, click on Store, use the search engine on the upper left hand side, and search for the Yay, and you can find us. For Android users, download the SoundCloud app or just go on SoundCloud.com and search for the Yay. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook and we'll take it from there. And we've we got to find a better sign-off. And we are out. <laughs>